Our Bible reading this morning is Mark 14. Starting at verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if it all falls away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Thanks, Steve. Um, please keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through this passage. There's some unusual things in there, not least of all the last sentence, <laughs> which is unusual. <laughs> uh, and we'll get to that. Uh, and we'll get to all the other unusual things here uh, and work our way through this passage together. So keep the Bible handy and you can follow as we do that. Now, I, I never, I don't know what happened in your family as you were growing up, but I never was taught how to cook as a kid. Um, 
it wasn't until I was married that I actually learnt how to cook and not just get food from a drive-through. Um, but the reason, the reason I never learnt how to cook was not because I wasn't interested in it. The reason I didn't learn how to cook was because my mum, uh, well, she was the reason, in fact. Um, don't get me wrong, mum is a great cook, uh, and I love eating mum's food, but mum is an independent cook. <laughs> mum does things mum's way. Now, it's not like she didn't try. You know, sometimes you'd be uh, walking past the kitchen and, you know, mum would be frantically away trying to prepare dinner. Uh, you, you'd feel bad, so you'd offer your help and she'd say, OK, come on in. And, you know, you'd, you'd be trying to help. You'd be cutting or frying off or simmering or, or, or doing whatever. And you'd be in the middle of trying to help and all of a sudden you would feel mum breathing over your shoulder, you know, watching. You're doing it right. Uh, don't do it like that. Uh, try this way instead. Actually, uh, just you step out and I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> this is perhaps bringing back memories for some of you. And pretty, pretty you know, before you even realise it, you're not actually doing anything at all. You're standing there in the corner twiddling your fingers and mum is once again doing everything but doing it her way. And, you know, after you try that a few times, you think, what's the point? <laughs> I'll just watch. And so for that reason, I never learned how to cook. Uh, the ironic thing is, now I'm like that in the kitchen. <laughs> it's, it's one thing to recognise things in someone else, it's another to, to do them yourself, isn't it? Now, maybe that's not you with cooking, but I, I think all of us are like this in some things, aren't we? Uh, maybe for you it's gardening. You know, don't do it that way, this is the way you do it. <laughs> maybe you're, you're king or queen of your garden. Uh, maybe it's with folding clothes. You, know, you don't fold socks like that. Like the, way some, yeah, the way some people fold socks is nuts. Maybe it's, maybe it's with cleaning. You know, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. So we, we have our own ways, don't we? We, we have our way, and it has to be our way. Uh, if, there's a, you know, if there's a song of our generation, an anthem for, our, for us, it's, it's got to be Frank Sinatra, doesn't it? I'm not going to sing it. I, I did it my way. I can't sing like Frank Sinatra, let's be honest. But, but that's who we are. I did it my way. We're fiercely independent. I want it how I like it, in my time, in my way. And I think that's one of the reasons that what Jesus says in this passage is so horrifying or so confronting for us because we see it, don't we? Not my way, but yours. And we, we feel the significance of that, don't we? It's not just an, a, a throwaway comment that he made. There's, that, that matters. Not my way, but yours. And what we're going to see this morning is do, Jesus didn't just say that. Jesus did that. And we're going to see what it means for us and we're going to see what it means for us to do as well. That's what we're going to unpack today. Last week uh, in Mark, we sat around the table with Jesus. We saw that uh, final meal that he shared with his followers, the, the, the Last Supper. Uh, that incredibly significant meal that was interrupted by the bombshell he dropped halfway through. One of you is going to betray me. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, uh, this week Jesus goes even further. Look at what he says in verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. What, what a thing to say. 
All of you, now we've got the 11 disciples around him now, all of you, my closest friends, my, my dearest companions, my inner circle, all of you are going to abandon me. You're all going to leave. Now, it's not entirely hopeless. Um, there's that enigmatic uh, thing that Jesus says, you know, there's, there's an other side to this. I, I'm going to rise, I'm going to go ahead of you. But, but the disciples aren't even focusing on that at all, are they? <laughs> they're, they're, they're caught up in what Jesus has said about them. We, we would never do that, Jesus. We're never going to leave you. How could you ever say that? Look at verse 29. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I won't. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. <laughs> You've got to love Peter's hubris, don't you? Uh, yeah, those guys will, not me. <laughs> you know, they're going to leave you. I'm going to stick it out to the bitter end, Jesus. Of course, everyone else agrees. You know, it's, it's, it's like that first, <laughs> the, the soon-to-be parent, um, watching other parents. I, I'd never do it that way. <laughs> I'm never going to cave in that well, We've all said it. <laughs> I'm never going to do that. Well, in a way, Peter is almost right. Now, Jesus almost says that. <laughs> you won't do what the others do, will you, Peter? <laughs> You're going to go a whole lot further. You're going to disown me three times tonight. See, Mark's setting up a contrast, isn't he? The disciples feel so strong in their following, so secure and so sure of themselves. But Jesus, Jesus, on the other hand, is feeling a moment of terrible weakness as he faces what's ahead. Look at verse 32 to 34. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. We see it in Jesus' ministry. Whenever something big is about to happen or whenever there's been an incredibly trying time, Jesus goes and prays. And it's no different here, is it? And we get a snapshot of that, that awful mental anguish that he is feeling at this point. Uh, he uses the same words as uh, we read right at the start of the service from Psalm 42. You know, it's, it, he talks about his distress and his trouble, this overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is no light thing that he's facing here. He is being torn apart as he anticipates what is coming to him. But why? Why? <laughs> I mean, of course, we know what Jesus is facing. We know, he knows what he's facing. There's death ahead of him. And of course, that's terrible. Lots of people have faced their death knowing that it's coming and they seem to be able to do it with even more courage than Jesus here, with far less fuss and far more resolve. Now, is, is Jesus just a coward facing his death? Well, the answer is no and we, we know why because it comes in what he prays next. Look at verse 35 and 36. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. 
Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you hear what he says? He says, take this cup from me. Now we, we understand cup to be you know, what he's facing, the path that he's walking to his death, the God's will for him. But it's more than that as well. If we go back to the Old Testament, we, we find out in lots of different places what this cup refers to. In one of those places, we, we see it in Psalm 75. And it tells us that this cup is a cup of God's wrath against sin. This is what Psalm 75 verse 8 says. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. See, that's what this cup is. It is this cup of judgment. It is a cup of wrath that God has been storing up against sin. And that's the path that's ahead of Jesus. It is a path of receiving and bearing God's wrath upon himself. It's, it, it is a death, but it is not just a death. It is a death under and a death bearing the full weight of God's righteous and holy anger against sin. Now, let me, let me quote one writer. This is what he says. It is one thing, fearful as it will be, to answer for our own sins before a holy and almighty God. Who can imagine what it would be like to stand before God to answer for every sin and crime and act of malice and injury and cowardice and evil in the world? Jesus experiences an abandonment and darkness of cosmic proportions. It spells complete alienation from God. That is what Jesus is standing on the cusp of here in this garden. That is, that is the awful weight that is ahead of him, that he knows is ahead of him. And what does he say as he knowingly faces that? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Contrast that to the disciples. <laughs> you know, so, so full uh, of bravado. You know, we're all for you. Doesn't matter what's ahead, Jesus. We're there right to the bitter end. Jesus is all agonized resolve. They're all sleepy. <laughs> Look at verse 37. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he, found, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to, say, what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I mean, the contrast, it couldn't be more stark, could it? You know, on one hand, we've got Jesus bravely at a terrible cost in terrible agony, facing something entirely undeserved and resolving himself to it. 
And on the other hand, we have the disciples, so full of themselves, so full of false bravado, but, but not even able to stay awake to support him as he faces this for them. And that is exactly the contrast that Mark wants us to see here. For see, in doing this, in saying this, in, in bearing this awful cost and saying your will, Jesus is doing what we can't and what we didn't. So if we re rewind a few thousand years before this, we find another garden. And in that garden, out of an unfounded doubt of his love, humanity said to God, my will, not yours. What was the result of that? The result of disobeying and committing treason against the king of the universe? Well, it was the cup of his wrath. But now, thousands of years later in this garden, confident in the true love of God, Humanity's true representative said to God, Your will, not mine. And he drank the cup that we had earned, and he paid the cost of our disobedience and treason. And the result? It is taken away. All who trust him, all who believe in him, are rescued, not destroyed, but restored. Our debt paid, our punishment taken, us brought back to God. Freed from that terrible weight. And therefore freed to and called to follow. To live the life we were intended to live, that Jesus models for us again. A life of no longer saying, my will, my way, but trusting the perfect love of God, as Jesus did, and saying, your way, your will. <laughs> That's not to say it's not still scary, is it? We don't like giving up ourselves. You know, we, we, we hear that and we think, can I actually, do I, do I dare to actually say that? I mean, it's, it's hard. What, what, what might happen? Yes, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard. And we actually don't know how half of it, of how hard it is. Um, let, me, let me try and explain why. Uh, say, for tomorrow, uh, say, for example, uh, tomorrow I'm at the gym. Um, and it's, it's bench day. Everyone's favourite day at the gym. Bench day is the best. Uh, and so I decide, well, I'm going to go for a PB tomorrow. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rack up 100 kilos, which is quite considerably a PB uh, for me, unfortunately. So I rack the weights up, I set myself up on the bench, you know, I get all in loose and ready and in place and I, I, I push the weight off the racks. And what happens when I do that with 100 kilos? Well, I can tell you, it's going to come down fast and it's not going to go up <laughs> at all, unfortunately. And someone else is going to have to lift it off me. Now, say we re-rack that weight but then our gym leader comes in and he sets up on the bench and he you know, loosens up a bit and gets himself in and he lifts it up. And of course, he lowers it down, very controlled, and pushes it straight back up. And in fact, if he wanted to, he could do that multiple times uh, because he's considerably stronger than I am. But here's the question. Out of the two of us, 
Who knows better how heavy that bar is? Who knows what it weighs? Well, it's not me, is it? <laughs> it's not me, because all I've felt is it coming down and getting stuck beneath it. The person who truly knows how heavy that bar is, is the person who's pushed it back up, who's borne up under it. And so it is with Jesus. He has borne up under the terrible weight of this question, this, this, uh, this statement, your will. He, he's lived it. He's followed through with that. He knows what it weighs. He knows how hard it is. He understands the cost of that in ways that you and I can scarcely imagine as people who every day fail to do that. And he does it because he trusts. He trusts God. He knows God is good. The God who graciously saves us, who forgives us, who daily lavishes his love and mercy and compassion and grace on us, the God who is utterly in control, who has a perfect plan for this world, who is working it out all around us, he says, my will. And he asks us to say to him, your will. That's what following Jesus looks like. But what does that actually mean? How does that actually play out for us? Well, if we keep going through the passage, we, we see what it looks like for Jesus. We, we see what happens to him. So come with me to verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. What does it mean for Jesus to say, your will be done? Well, we see immediately it means betrayal by his friends. Remember, that, that's who Jesus, uh, Judas is. Mark points it out again, just in case we'd forgotten, he's one of the twelve. That is, Jesus' close companions. Now, he's not a stranger. In fact, he's part of the inner circle. You know, it's one thing to be attacked by your enemies, but to be betrayed by your friend? How do you react to that? Well, we see what happens. Look at verse uh, 46. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out to camp with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. I think we would react like Jesus' disciples to this, wouldn't we? You know, this terrible betrayal, this, this sort of injustice, we'd, we'd lash out as well. I mean, how unfair is this? But that's not how Jesus responds. As the scriptures say, they must be fulfilled. I'll go. Translation, this is God's will. It's painful. It's hard. But this is his path. So I will walk it. I'll obey. It is costly, but Jesus doesn't shy back. 
He walks that path wherever it leads. It's a hard thing. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to um, we used to ride motorbikes basically wherever we could or wherever we're allowed to, uh, in the bush, at tracks, wherever. Now, I mean, it was great. Like, I loved riding motorbikes. The problem with that was uh, all my friends were good at it <laughs> and I just enjoyed it. Uh, they were fast and they were capable and I just could follow along. Now, but usually that's fine, you know, you, you're following along, riding the trail and it, just trying to keep up and it's great, you know, you go in the same places, hit the same corners, ride over the same rocks, do the same small jumps and drops and, and everything's fine. But all of a sudden they'll do something that a good rider can do. You know, they'll, they'll launch off a big jump or they'll, they'll do a big drop or, and make it look terribly easy. And what do I do coming up behind them? <laughs> Grab two handfuls of brakes and stop uh, and find a different way around. I mean, you know that feeling, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't go there, you can, that's great for you. I can't do that. Following is fine <laughs> until it's not, until we face something like that. And that's what we see here, isn't it? So often following Jesus, often that is fine. You know, your will be done, okay, we can do that. You know, yeah, maybe it's got its little costs or its little challenges along the way, but, but we can do that. But sometimes there comes these points where we have to grab two handfuls of brakes, where we have to stop. I, I can't go there. I, I, I can't do that, Jesus. It's what we see with the disciples, isn't it? Yeah, we'll follow Jesus. We'll come be fishers of men, whatever that means. <laughs> and, and they do follow. Okay, we'll, we'll do some weird stuff. That's fine. We'll, 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 we can do that. We'll have this really odd entry back into Jerusalem. Yeah, we can do that. This, this strange dinner. Yeah, all right, whatever. Jesus does strange stuff. But betrayal by friends, arrested by a detachment of soldiers, taken away to trial... No, we can't do that. Look what they do. Verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Best theory is that young man is, is Mark himself. You know, this is kind of like his autobiographical note. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> Um, but, you know, you don't want to sign your name to that. Whether it was or not, I mean, the, the picture's clear, isn't it? Jesus is arrested. The hard point comes in following God's will. And what happens? Everyone vanishes in utter humiliation. Totally, completely embarrassed by this. Jesus is showing us what following, what saying your will be done looks like. And it looks like obeying. It looks like submitting even when times are tough, even when the cost is high. And so the question is, will you, will we, follow that way? Will we see what he's done for us, the path he has walked on our behalf? Will we follow him wherever it leads? Now, sure, sometimes it is easy. You know, sometimes uh, in his grace, your will be done actually lines up pretty well with our will be done. And in that time, there's not so much chafe. There's not so much hardship. This is, this is okay, I can do this. 
But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it costs. How will we follow then? What about when the price is our friendships? What about when the price is family conflict? What about when it interferes with our goals or aspirations? You know, the, the, the savings goal we had or investment goal we had or our holiday planning or our bucket list, our retirement. What about when it costs persecution, when it puts us into conflict with the world? Maybe that, that will be at work. It'll put us into conflict with the ethos of our business or with other employees. It could be at school. It sets you at odds with friends there. You have to choose, will I go that different way? What about when it costs making the seniors or the A-grade team? Will we disappear like the disciples? I, I can't do that and vanish. I think if we're honest, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all done that. We've all said that's too hard, I can't go there. To our shame. Well, the good news is, even cowardly disciples get restored. Remember what Jesus said? He's going ahead to Galilee. What happens when we see him in Galilee? Well, even three times Peter is welcome back and is restored to follow again. And that good news is ours as well. Jesus forgives. Jesus shows mercy. And he calls us again to follow him. Will we obey God's will, even when it costs? <laughs> you might be thinking, though, how do I know God's will? <laughs> That's a different question, isn't it? How, how do I know that that path is God's path for me? Where, where is he actually leading me? Maybe this path is hard because it's not actually God's will, <laughs> and so I should go a different way instead. Now, it's true, in this, in this passage, we know that Jesus had a clearer picture of God's will than, than we ever do. You know, he knew what was coming. He knew exactly what was coming, which makes it even more amazing that he walked that path. But we don't often have that, do we? There are very few times when we can say, I know that this is God's will for me. You know, we'd love that. <laughs> we'd love guidance. We'd love a sense of calling or you know sometimes we say i had a sense of peace about this we, we we want that we we want a clear direction that this is god's will for my life well the bad news is nowhere does god promise that he doesn't promise that you will know what his will specifically for your life is what decisions you should make what choices you should have so how do you follow god's will then well, actually, Jesus showed us right here. What it means to follow God's will is to obey him, whatever the situation. What's God's will for you? Well, I can say very confidently, God's will for you, wherever you are, whatever decision you are facing, is for you to obey him. You to follow his ways, you to live as he called you to do.
even if it's costly. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think, yeah, I really feel like God's, God's leading me in this direction. <laughs> I've said that, I, you probably have as well. What we actually sometimes mean is, this is the way I want to go, <laughs> and I feel like I should go that way. Uh, or maybe sometimes what we mean is, this feels like the easier or the more desirable way, the path of, you know, least resistance. Well, this is where we need to watch carefully. It's where we need to test ourselves and our mixed motives. It's where we need to seek the advice of those around us who know us well. Because God's will for your life is not the easiest life. God's will for your life is a life of following him and obeying him and becoming more and more like him. The life that honours him, that, that lives for him, that serves him wherever it finds itself. That's what your will be done means. It means, wherever you lead me, wherever you put me, I will go and I will obey. I will do as you say. It might be hard. It might be costly. But it will be good. Because you love me. And you've said you're always working for the good of your people whom you love. One author, I forget who it is, I, th I think it might have been C.S. Lewis, um, he said that at the end of days, there, at the, there, there really are only two types of people. There are people uh, who say to God, your will be done. And there are people to whom God says, your will be done. I, I think that's true. There are people who will accept God's rule, or who have accepted there are people to whom God will say, have the consequence for your choice. One of those paths leads to destruction. One of those paths leads to life. Because Jesus said the harder thing, because Jesus said your will be done, the better path is possible for you to walk. Because he can set your feet on that. He can see you to the end. And for you to follow is to say the same. Your will be done. I will trust you, God. I will walk this harder path. I will go to that better end that you have secured for me. Whatever that looks like now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that Jesus has walked the path that we couldn't walk. That he said, your will be done, even though that cost him his life. Father, we praise you for his obedience because that means life for us. For he took our destruction, he settled our debt, and he freed us so that we could live knowing you. We could live rightly with you and for you. Father, we ask that you would help us in that. It is hard for us to say your will. It means giving up our own control. It means sometimes giving up our own plans. It means sometimes bearing costs. Lord, help us not to be scared of that. Help us not to be afraid of what that might be 
but help us to trust and to know that you love us, to know that you have a good plan for us, wherever that would lead us. And so help us to obey, to pay that cost and to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.